Jesus, we pray that you and the Holy Spirit would bring your peace to everyone here. We need you to bring your resurrection power in a way that brings us truth, lets us internalize it, and gives us power to go out from here to serve you and follow your word and to not be afraid. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You can turn to John 20 on page 11 of your programs or in your Bibles. We're in the middle of a series in Eastertide called Life After Death. Seven Conversations with Jesus. And this is a, a personal call to have a personal encounter with, with Jesus' resurrection. And when Jesus <clears throat> rose from the dead, it changed everything. It changed the past. It changed the present. It changed the future. Uh, as we said, it turned history inside out. Jesus' resurrection is absolutely the central point in all of human history and beyond. But before we can get our heads around all of that, before that actually matters to us, um, Jesus' resurrection has to change us first. Something so big and history-making and cosmic has to be scaled down to the way we think and feel and act in this world. We have to start with where we're at. We can't jump ahead. Although it's helpful to look at the, the evidence for Jesus' resurrection, and if you still have questions, I really encourage you to look at the historical evidence for Jesus' resurrection. Um, But as it relates to our personal lives, we have to have one conversation at a time with Jesus, which is why I love all of the accounts of Jesus' interactions with his followers after he rose from the dead. Because you didn't see him coming and overpowering them. You saw him coming to exchange with them, to draw out the bits of shrapnel of hell that had lodged in their souls, to draw that out and to breathe heaven into them. One conversation at a time. And you know what? It was a process. It took time. There was not an overnight, all of a sudden, they're a completely different person. It was, it was one conversation at a time. But it happened. And they experienced what all of us have an opportunity to experience, which is life after death. Life even in the world of death. We have an eternal kind of life that we carry around in our souls that actually we can impart to other people as well. There's an invitation for everyone here to have that kind of a conversation with Jesus. And today we're, uh, uh, first week we talked about grief and then disillusionment last week. We'll talk about skepticism. We'll talk about uh, status consciousness, frustration, shame. Everything that we have to bring to the table when we have a conversation with Jesus. We've got all, we've got lots of baggage and he's not afraid of any of it. He's like, come on, come to me, bring me your baggage, bring me all the stuff. Today we're going to talk about fear. We could do a whole series on fear, but we're just doing one sermon on fear. What does it look like when Jesus has a conversation with someone who's afraid? What happens when the Lord of life 
who has faced down death and come back alive interacts with people who are afraid? What does that look like? We're going to talk about, number one, we're going to talk about the virus of fear which paralyzes us. The virus of fear that paralyzes us. And then we're going to talk about the cure for fear which enlivens us. Makes alive all the places that fear has, has, has killed or made immobile. We're going to talk about the virus of fear and then what's the cure for fear. And we're talking about, uh, we'll also end with some practical ways to, to carry on these conversations with Jesus after the message. Let's talk about the virus of fear. Fear is like a virus that is easily caught. Number one, because it's everywhere in our world. Their fear is everywhere in our world, and causes for fear are everywhere in our world. So it can start to mess with us really easily, and we can all of a sudden start to be afraid of things that don't exist at all. Someone came up with an acronym for the four letters of fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. And every last one of us has absorbed false evidence appearing real and lived as if it were true. That's the virus of fear. It's so easy to catch. And then once we're caught by that virus and it really starts to infect our thinking and living, it paralyzes us. See, we don't live the lives we're supposed to live anymore. All of a sudden, we're like weighed down. We're immobilized when we have this virus. Would you like to be free of this virus? Would you like to have a conversation with Jesus and let the Lord of life, the resurrection Lord, actually draw that out of you and give you his cure? He can do that. He did it with his disciples. And he can do it with us. Here are some things that we fear. Number one, I've got a lot of precious things in my life, a job, a career, people, uh, my kids, my spouse, my friends, my situation, that's going to be taken away from me. I'm going to lose it forever. Something's going to happen, there's going to be a disaster, and things that I love are going to be snatched from me without my, without my consent. We're afraid that's going to happen. Some of us are. We're afraid of rejection. If I put myself out there, if I really, if I really let myself be known, if I put myself out there, I'm going to get rejected. And then I'm going to be alone. A lot of us are afraid that's going to happen. We're afraid of death. I'm going to get sick. I'm going to get cancer. I'm going to get hit by a car, and I'm going to die. And I don't know what that's going to be like. The dark clouds of death loom over me, and I'm going to have to pass through some kind of journey, and I'm not sure what's going to be on the other end of it. But I'm going to, I might die. And I might die too soon. I might miss out on all the amazing things that life has to offer. My dreams could die and my body could die and I could suffer great things. Here's another thing we fear. People I love will always abandon me. Once I finally start to trust somebody, they're going to leave me and abandon me. Some of us have a deep-seated fear that that's going to happen and that has paralyzed you from relationships and in your relationships. You've actually held back in your relationships because you are afraid that if you stop holding back and that if you actually invest, you're going to get abandoned. They're like little viruses, these little beliefs. I'm going to die. I'm going to get sick. 
Someone I love is going to abandon me. I'm going to lose precious things in my life. It's like a virus that gets inside you, and then it paralyzes you. You stop living because you're, you're thinking catastrophically, and so you, then you start to live protectively. Um, fear gets inside of us. That's how fear works. Fear gets inside of us in three ways. Number one, fear gets in through our ears. Fear gets in through our ears. We hear things that are scary. We hear predictions that sound really true and are really awful. And then we listen to those fears. We listen to those false prophecies. We listen to those predictions. And there are all kinds of messages. Uh, there are all kinds of conversations we can have with people who will plant things in our ears to give us the virus of fear. There are menacing words and menacing sounds that we absorb as true, as if it were true. We listen to threats on our life, on our relationships, on our status or our safety. We hear descriptions of the future and we're like, how can I raise kids in a world like this? We read articles with catastrophic descriptions about what's going to happen in our world or among the population. We're like, there's no way that I can go on. There's no way that I can really invest because it's going to go so bad. We hear threats from powerful people. You know what? I might sue you if you go ahead and do that. In fact, I would enjoy it. Um, I might leave you. You know, you're at risk when you do that. You're at risk when you say that. You know, this, this world is a scary world to raise children. Are you sure you want to bring children into this world when you see everything that's going on? Most of the time, we're talking to ourselves. It's the thoughts that we then listen to. You're going to let everybody down, we tell ourselves. You know she's going to resent you if you say that, so don't say that. Um, it's not going to work out. It's not. What? Where did you get the idea that it's going to work out? Fear gets in through the ears, and every time we listen... Fear spreads through our bodies. Fear gets in through the ears. Fear gets in through the eyes. You know, one time I was walking with my kids to the park, and we were about to cross uh, the street, and uh, a car waited for us to cross. It stopped at the stop sign at a four-way stop, and, and you know, we, we took our time at, at getting across, but they were very patient. And so we walk to the other side, and we're moving towards the park, and all of a sudden we hear, wham! And that same car that had been so patient letting us cross was T-boned as soon as it went into the intersection because someone else didn't stop. And all of a sudden, we whirl around and we see this car, which three seconds ago, five seconds ago, was completely intact with a very alert driver. And the next minute, the driver was shaken up, and the car was completely destroyed and t-boned this happens all the time in our world we see all kinds of awful things most of the time through the news not physically with our eyes but sometimes and like wow people get hurt people get fired people get left bad things happen 
and it jars us. Our, our world is filled with gruesome and scary images that enter the eyes and then get inside our head and get inside our body. And we absorb symbols of loss and rejection and injury. And we're like, that's going to happen to me. Fear gets into the ears. Fear gets into the eyes. Fear gets under our skin. (laughs) Whether it's because our skin feels an injury, most of the time it just gets under our skin. It lives past its due date. It carries on like a virus inside of our bodies. And then we start to feel physical symptoms of fear. Sometimes it manifests because we can't breathe right. Sometimes it manifests because we have tightness and pain in our chest and we can't go to sleep. Sometimes it it, it manifests in indigestion. And it's not unthinkable that Jesus' disciples had some of these symptoms. Verse 19 says, In the evening of the first day, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Now think about how fear could have entered into their hearts. It could have come through the ears. You know, the disciples heard all kinds of, uh, of menacing words against their master and, and probably against them as well. Accusations of sedition, accusations of blasphemy. And you know what? They listened. Fear came in through the ears and they listened to it. It came in through the eyes. You know, um, one, one, one minute they're praying and eating with their Savior and totally, you know, t- just connected and relaxed. And the next minute they see that same person that, that they've been with for three years, tortured and whipped and then, and then, and then uh, crucified. And they, gruesome images flashing before their eyes. I'm never going to let that happen to me. That can't happen to me. It might happen to me unless I hide. And fear got under their skin. They were hiding. They were controlled by their fear. They were locked down. It had paralyzed them just like fear does. Fear is a paralyzing virus. You know, when we're choked by a fear, cancer, or abandonment, or failure... It feels all-powerful. It feels so real. And you know what? There's something to it. There were powerful people that wanted the disciples dead. There were people looking for the disciples. Find those followers of Jesus and kill them. Sicknesses and shootings are real in our city as well. Bad things can happen to us and those we care about. So is there a cure? Is there a cure for this virus that gets in through the ears and the eyes and gets in through the skin? Is there a cure that's legitimate and not just a head game, not just pretend? What is the cure? What could get inside us and turn dread into joy? There's got to be a cure because you know what? You know people who are brave, don't you? You know people who have faced down death. You know people who have taken risks and have not been afraid even though they have dealt directly with things that should have absolutely sent them running. Don't you? You know people who have courage. You know people who have some kind of supernatural ability to descend to the dead and be with people who are sick and dying and to be in war zones. You know people who are unafraid. There's got to be a cure for fear. 
There's got to be a cure for fear because the same disciples that were huddled in this room kicked the door down and changed the world not long after their conversation with Jesus. So there's got to be a cure because they somehow had it. They somehow got it. So what's the cure? And how can we get it? And how can we be set free like the disciples? Let's read verse 19 again. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. You know, here is Jesus. He went to the cross. He gave his blood to forgive the sins of mankind. He stormed the gates of hell. His thunderous word went into the caverns of evil. He was not afraid. He has done what no one did before. He's come back from the dead. He rose from the dead with a body that belonged to a new world altogether. Not just a microwaved corpse, but a brand new body that had incredible powers. He stepped on the head of the snake, on the, on the head of the enemy. He's conquered evil. He's conquered injustice. He took, the, he took the wolf of Satan and he took the fangs out with his bare hands. He's gone through all of that. He's done all of that. He started a new world, okay? His body is the first body, the first artifact of the new world that's going to look a lot like our world except purged of evil and injustice. And he has this new body, which it belongs to a new world where God will dwell with his people in this world. It's a world with complete well-being. It's a world where you don't have to be afraid of anything. There will be no death in this world. There would be no rejection and abandonment in this world. There would be no cancer in this world. There would be political peace. There would be relational peace. There would be physical peace. There would be spiritual peace. There would be emotional peace. Imagine a world with complete peace. It's almost, it's hard to imagine because our world, the air that we breathe has fear in it. But imagine a world where the air that you breathe is complete, what the scriptures call shalom. We need a new word for it. We need an old word because peace is a little bit too thin for our language. We need a word like shalom, which covers politics and covers relationships and covers nature and covers the soul. Because shalom is what Jesus won when he faced down death. Shalom is what Jesus brought with him when he rose from the dead. And shalom is what Jesus brings, slips in through the locked doors and brings to his disciples. He brought shalom. It's a cure for fear. Shalom is Jesus' cure for our fear. And he has the power to speak it. This is amazing. He says, peace be with you. You know, Jesus takes all the spiritual power of, of, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit of heaven itself. He has the spiritual power of his death and resurrection. And he is able to personally impart it through his words. In a way that actually can penetrate and and enliven our souls. Isn't that amazing? He has the power of the word and it's living and, and, and and it's pregnant with meaning. And it's powerful. It can get inside of us. It's the cure 
for our fear. He can speak. He can say, peace be with you. And he intends it just like he did when he created the world. He intends it personally and he speaks it lovingly and then somehow it enters us and it changes us and it's going to do the same thing on a cosmic level also. So how did they take it in? How did they receive this word? How do we receive this word? How do we receive shalom? You know what? Shalom gets in through the ears. Did you know that? Shalom gets in through the ears just like fear. You know, Jesus preached a little sermon to them when he said, peace be with you. He's declaring the gospel. Um, He's preaching the word of God, both the Old and the New Testaments. So do you, every Sunday. When you greet one another with the peace of Christ, especially those whom you do not yet know, the peace of the Lord be always with you. Do you know what you're saying? Do you know what you're saying? You're talking about the new world, which you can experience now in this world. Even as you see Jesus transforming it into his world. The peace of the Lord be always with you. There's peace for you to commune with the living God and the bread and the wine. There's peace of the Lord for, uh, to be with you to a point where you can go out and, and, and serve Jesus and his resurrection. Wherever you are, even in scary places in Chicago. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Even though people are sick, even though people are dying, you might be dying. But Jesus has not left you. And he has not left the people that you care about who are sick. He brings shalom with him. With his resurrected human voice, he declares it with this little phrase, I am back from the dead, I am making all things new, and I'm taking you with me. Jesus is speaking sound theology into their ears, and if they would only listen, it would transform their death into life. Jesus' invitation when he says, peace be with you, he is encouraging them and us to enthrall our minds with God. To think about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To take in the beautiful prayers of the Psalms. And to take in the incredible stories of the Old Testament. And to imbibe and begin to live the stories and the letters of the New Testament and the Gospels. He's saying, live my life. Think about me. Let the truth enter into your ears. Listen to it and think about it more than you listen to and think about the false prophecies about how your life is going to be ruined if you make a mistake. Good theology is good for your mental health, quite frankly. Good theology, thinking about God, is so good for your mental health. I've said this before. I've really enjoyed reading not, uh, two things. Number one, the Anglican Catechism, which has been released in the last couple of years. J.I. Packer put it together. But another great little book called Knowing God, but, but written by the same author. It's good, sound, beautiful theology. Reading it has been good for my soul, my mental health, my emotions. Shalom gets in through the ears. You know what? Shalom also gets through through the eyes. We have to see shalom as well. Verse 20, it says this. When, when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They got to see him. They got to see his wounds. They got to see, oh my goodness, he actually did die. He actually did defeat death and hell and Satan and our bleak future. And now he's alive. He's living. And I get to see him. And that gladdened their hearts. 
It got in through the eyes and it cured their fear. You know, one of the most amazing things about the local church is that the local church makes Jesus visible. The local church makes Jesus visible to anyone who wants to come see it happen. Visible in the way we treat one another and serve one another in our community. They're like, oh my goodness, there's some kind of amazing, sacrificial, but living quality here in this church. I don't quite believe what they believe, but I love what I see. When they see us reach out with the love of Christ to our community. When they see the liturgy carried out as it is. When they see you worship Jesus, it is hope-giving for the world. It actually allows Uptown and allows Chicago to see Shalom. Because Shalom is present here. Not because I make it happen, not because any of the leaders make it happen, because Jesus gives it as a gift to his local church and to anyone who will receive it. Shalom gets in through the ears. Shalom gets in through the eyes. Shalom, you know what? It gets under your skin. Verse 22, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives him his very spirit. And they're called to carry it around in their very selves, which includes their bodies and their souls. Wherever they go, Jesus will be right there with them. They no longer have to have his personal physical body. He is personally and fully present with them wherever they go. And they're going to go all kinds of places. And he'll be with them wherever they go. Because he's gotten under their skin. He'll communicate with them through his spirit. Um, He would encourage them when they faced fearful situations. He would give them power to carry out things they could never otherwise do. And this is his will for every person who would follow him. This is an invitation to every single person. Let me give you my Holy Spirit and let's work together. Let me actually get under your skin. Let me give you peace so deep that you're going to have power to do things you would never otherwise be able to do. You'd have thoughts you would never otherwise have. This is healing for their souls. This is also power for their souls. Shalom gets in through the ears, it gets in through the eyes, and it gets under our skin in the best way possible. And once shalom gets inside of us, this is really important, shalom gets us outside. You know, think about fear. What fear does, fear gets you into a a, a crouching position, into the fetal position. When you're infected by fear, you you are less likely to act, or you're, you're more likely to act in the wrong way. But once shalom gets inside of you, It gets you outside. You're actually more willing to take risks. Not stupid risks, but risks in accordance with Jesus, where actually you learn to trust him. You you, you realize that in Jesus, every risk is safe because he is overseeing an entirely safe reality for me, not only for my present, but for my future. Verse 21. Let's see how Jesus gets them outside. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you, shalom be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he says in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, now let's just think about this. Jesus is saying, okay, you know the people that are threatening you? They're like, you're going to die. We're going we're gonna to crucify you too. He's like, go back to those people 
and proclaim the forgiveness of sins to them. You think he can do that? No, no, no. Seriously, go back. The wolves have been defanged. They, oh, they can howl at you. They will howl at you. Go proclaim the forgiveness of sins. It's one of the most revolutionary, revolutionary things you could ever do in this empire. Is to go proclaim God loves you. God has forgiven your sins through Jesus. And you can have new life right now in the ultimate empire. You know what? Peter would preach that sermon. Peter, who's in this room going like this, would go preach that sermon. And as you recall in Acts 2, there were people that were none too happy about it. And there are people that are like, oh, you're drunk. You know? And Peter's like, Jesus is here to forgive your sins. He's the king of the kingdom, and you crucified him. But guess what? He's sending his spirit now, and he's ready to forgive your sins. He's ready to usher in a new kingdom. And a lot of people that heard that message got baptized. So some people in this room that heard Jesus say, peace be with you as the Father is sending me into a dangerous world, into a dangerous situation with absolute peace, so I am sending you into dangerous situations with my spirit and with my power and with my hope. And they would go, and some of the people who were crouched were sent, and they would preach, and they would baptize, and they would carry on other good works not associated with the local church that were nevertheless part of Jesus' resurrection ministry. They would go out with the power. They would go out with the shalom. Because once shalom gets inside of you, it gets you outside. So many of us need this. We are so locked up in our fear. We are so afraid of taking risks. We are so afraid of messing up our life that we don't take any steps. We'd rather have all of the options, none of the failure, which means we aren't going anywhere. It means we make no commitments <laughs> to anybody or anything, really, except ourselves and our safety. So many of us are locked up in our fear. And in the name of perfectionism, we don't do anything. Once shalom gets inside of us, it gets us outside. Once Jesus' peace gets inside of us, we begin, we have power then to face our fears. Do you know how healing it is to face your fears? Do you know how liberating it is to face the people and situations that you are so afraid of? Not to do so in your own power, but to do so with Jesus' power? To face injustice, don't you want to face injustice down in the face? Unbelief, disease, abuse, don't you want to be there for people who are abused? Don't you want to be there for people who are threatened? Don't you want to have the courage to do that? And that's Jesus' promise. Don't you want to face down broken relationships? Don't you want to face down the ravages of war and bring and proclaim peace? This is what shalom does. We start absorbing it through our ears, through our eyes. Receiving the Holy Spirit under our skin. It gets us outside to those situations where we really want to go. Not with our own courage, but with the courage of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. We become a non-anxious presence in a highly anxious world. We become a non-anxious presence in a highly anxious world. We live in a highly anxious world, and the promise of shalom, the cure of shalom, is for us to be a non-anxious presence. So where do we go with this? You know, we need to have a conversation with Jesus. It's one thing to observe the conversation happening in John 20. It's another thing to then, to then enter John 20 personally. Can you imagine doing that? 
and having a conversation with Jesus yourself and hearing him say, no, peace and shalom for you, for you. We need to hear him say, for you, peace, for you, shalom. I, yeah, no, I died for you. I did. I love you. And I went, I went to hell for you. No, and I rose from the dead for you. That was for you, for your life, for what you're facing. It was for you. No, it was for you. Yes, it was for the world. That's important. But unless we personally absorb it as for us, it's not going to matter at all. And then we need to begin to receive his shalom in those conversations. As you think about your schedule, as you think about your intake, what's coming in through the ears, what's coming in through the eyes, and what is getting under your skin? Who are you having conversations with? Be it imaginary, media, or in person. Are you having lots of conversations with highly anxious people? You should probably stop. Unless Jesus has sent you there, and you can be a non-anxious presence, you should probably disengage from those relationships. Are you having highly anxious conversations with a talking head through the media? You should probably end those conversations. What's getting under your skin? Are you having conversations with Jesus? Let me tell you about some ways to do that. Ways to open up a conversation with Jesus. One is very simple and we offer it every Sunday and it is prayer ministry. It's very simple. Our prayer ministers are up here during communion. We're taking communion. We're worshiping. And there are people that will pray with you. You know what they're doing? They're making a space for you to facilitate a conversation with Jesus. A lot of times you get to be the one who's praying. They're praying for you, but you get to be the one who's praying. And you get to listen to Jesus. Do you know that Jesus still speaks? He spoke through his word, and he continues to speak peace and shalom to his people. Do you know that he's ready to, 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 to preach in the most loving way the gospel to you? Use the prayer ministry. Another way that we do it is we just make space for solitude with Jesus. Turn off all the technology, get into nature, and just take a psalm with you. And let yourself experience the uncomfortability of the first 15 minutes so that you can know the joy and the shalom of the next 45 minutes or longer. And I would recommend longer because why not have a longer conversation with Jesus? We need to find ways of unplugging. Look at your schedule. Who are you having conversations with? And are you having any conversations with Jesus? Open up the scriptures. Open up yourself in prayer ministry and open up yourself to solitude. Otherwise... What will get in through your ears, eyes, and under your skin will be a virus that will incapacitate you. Whereas Jesus' shalom gets inside of us to get us outside. That's his promise this morning. That's his promise for the rest of your life. So let me pray for you. Jesus, you came and the medium was the message. Peace be with you. And you were with your disciples. And you never left them. 